morning. It's good to see everybody today. I appreciate Miranda and Connor filling in for Cody while he is on um, vacation. He was on vacation this last week, and so he'll be back with us um, next week. Uh, I know we've got lots of visitors who are here today, and so I just want to say welcome to you. Thanks for showing up and checking us out. We know it can be um, awkward sometimes coming into a new new church because you're not really sure what to experience, and so just appreciate the fact that you are here, and we would absolutely love to connect with you, um, find out who you are and how we could uh, potentially minister to you and your family, and so the easiest way to do that is to text the word welcome uh, to 817-755-1668, and what you'll receive back is a link uh, to a digital connection card so that we can um, just begin to build a relationship with you, and what you'll receive back this week is an email from me probably tomorrow, and then maybe a, a text message or something later in the week. But if there's anything that we can do for you, if you have any questions about the, the church um, or anything that we talk about in the, in the service this morning, um, please let us know after the service. I'll make my way out to our connection area, and I'll hang out out there. And So if I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in, would love to introduce myself on the way out. And I don't think I actually said this before, so my name is Bill. Um, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Um, you, know, you have serve Sunday, you take a week off, and, and you, you forget some of these little things that we're supposed to do all the time. Um, you know, Brandy talked a little bit uh, a few minutes ago about kids camp. And so our kids are headed to camp this week. Um, and I think she really made it uh, like sound like a very positive thing. And it is a positive thing. I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not a not positive. It's a positive thing. Kids love it. It's great for kids to kind of get away, put their devices away for a week and things like that. It's amazing to see what God does there. But from the perspective of adults, it's a little bit different, right? I, th- I think in ministry there, is, there are certain rites of passages that you have, um, and going to kids' camp is one of those things. And at this point in my life, at my age, um, Heading to kids' camp, taking kids to camp is not something that like super exciting to me. It's bad enough when I'm at home and trying to get my kids to make sure that they brush their teeth and take a shower. I can't imagine doing it now with a group of right, 10 or 15 kids, um, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade boys. Like, sh- showers are good, things like that. Like, these little little simple messages in life. And so I want to be praying for uh, our, our leaders, especially um, as they go this week, that they have energy and, and certainly be um, praying for our kids too that are headed there, that God would be at work in their hearts. The other thing, we haven't had a chance to talk about this because we did have Serve Sunday last week, but this uh, over the last couple of weeks really has been a, a season of accomplishment. You know, when I was a kid, we graduated from kindergarten and then graduated from high school. Now I feel like there is graduation for all of the things, right? Like um, there's preschool graduation and then kindergarten graduation. Depending on your school, you might have fifth grade graduation and then eighth grade graduation and then finally high school graduation and college graduation. And so we've had people uh, that are part of our church go through all of these different um, accomplishment levels. And I think all of them are, are significant. They, they mean significant things. And so um, we celebrate with all of the the folks from the youngest um, preschoolers who are headed to kindergarten to those who have graduated from college and now real life is um, confronting them and, and all of that. So we um, just celebrate in the accomplishments that they've made as well. Um, and so if you are in any of those categories, man, great job. Keep up the good work. Um, 
It's amazing to see, it, it will be amazing to see what God does in the lives of our kids and students who are graduating and, and all of those kinds of things too. So those are all of the things that I want to be um, praying for as we um, pray before we get into the message this morning. So let's do that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks so much for um, just the privilege of, of, of worship, the privilege of knowing you. God, we recognize that the only reason that we know you is because you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. God, not only have you chosen to reveal the fact that you exist, but you have chosen to reveal to us the way to have a relationship with you that changes everything about our lives and lasts forever. So like we've seen uh, this morning with Ben, who took that step of faith, God, we just celebrate um, what you're doing in the lives of people who are part of our church and how, how faith is coming alive and, and, and people are, are learning and growing and following after you. Father, I think about our kids who are headed to camp this week, and I pray that your blessing would be upon every single child who is going. God, keep them safe. Um, be at work in their hearts and lives. Draw them to yourself. Help them to understand um, what life as a follower of Jesus is all about. And Father, if there are any of our kids who haven't yet uh, taken that step across that line of faith and, and truly understood the gospel, maybe it's through this week that um, a light bulb will go off and that they'll understand and put their faith in Jesus. Father, I pray for our leaders as well. Give them strength and energy and give them sensitivity to how you are at work in the lives of our, our, our kids. Father, thanks for the seasons of accomplishment that we go through in life. And um, Father, what they, they mean to us, but then the opportunities that you give to us as we go through the different seasons to point other people back to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, just... Use all of our graduates in whatever um, next phase they're headed into, um, God, that you would use them um, for your purposes to point people back to you. And Father, as we spend a few minutes in your word today, I pray that you would guide us, um, be our teacher, um, help us understand the life that you've given to us and how you desire us to live. And it's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen. So today we are beginning a new series of messages it's called The Finish Line. And so for those of you um, that maybe used to, to go to the mall quite often, no, we are not talking about the rise and fall of our favorite sneaker store. Um, we are talking about the finish line of our faith. Several years ago, this is really kind of back before our kids started to get old enough where they were very active in their sports that basically take all weekend, every weekend for us now, there was a time in my life where I considered myself to be a runner. Now, never a good runner, like the ones who are the real runners. And if you've ever been to any kind of race before, you know the ones that I'm talking about. They're the ones that wear the short shorts and start the race at the actual start line. I never started at the start line. I could see the start line sometimes, but was never actually at the start line. But yet at the same time, I used to really enjoy running and running races, and uh, we would do several a year. Even over a couple of year period, my wife and I, uh, Mandy, we would run a race almost every single month. Different races, different lengths, things like that, from ranging from a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, all the way up to a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. So we do all these different races, and at these different races are all kinds of different people who are running with different purposes and different goals in mind. So there are some people, those who wear the short shorts and start at the start line, 
they are there to win. Uh, a couple of races that I did, there was actually even a cash prize for the winner. And so they were running in order to win and in order to win a very specific prize. Way at the other end of the spectrum were those who would show up at these races for fun. And uh, especially at the shorter races, this was true. Uh, with Oftentimes there were, were charity races. Now, if you don't know this, every race has a charity that benefits from the race, but then some races are specifically for the purpose of raising money for that specific charity. Something like the Susan G. Komen you know, breast cancer race. Like that's very specific. And so there are people that show up at that race running, and I use that term very loosely, um, in honor of someone that they they knew or or know. And so they're there to run that race and they do very little training and running very fast or sometimes running at all is not even something that's on their radar. So all these different races, all kinds of different people with all kinds of different purposes, all kinds of different intentions, the reason that I was there was always to race. Now, it wasn't necessarily to win. Like I said before, I, I never won. Never. I don't think I was ever close to winning. Uh, I was able to compete in my age group a couple of different times. But here's the problem with that. If you've never been in a race before, you have no idea who is in your age group. It's not like they tell you at some point, hey, there are only three 30-year-olds or 35-year-olds in front of you. If you can catch up, you can you know, place in your age group. You just don't know. You just do the best you can. You get to the finish, and then they tell you, here is how you ended up. But I was always there to race, most of the time just racing against myself. Because my goal every time that I entered into a race was to run a personal best. What that means is to run faster at that distance than I had ever run in a previous race at that distance. Wasn't able to accomplish that every time, but every time that I entered a race, that was my goal, to run the fastest race that I'd ever run before. Because we did all these different races that had different distances, that meant that training was always a little bit different leading up into that race as well. So if it was a short race, it'd be a little bit more speed work leading up to it. When it was a longer race, that meant the long runs that I would do in a given week had to be that much longer. So training was always a little bit different. Something else that I always found really helpful was to actually run the same race in multiple years. Because then you know the course. And so when there are hills, you know where the hills are. So you can kind of strategize for that. Because there was a lot of strategy involved in, in running too. With a short race, what I would do is I would run hard from the very beginning and just kind of hold on to the end. A long race, pace myself at the beginning. And what I tried to do was one, run what's referred to as reverse splits. So you run the second half of the race faster than you do the first half of the race. Knowing the course, really beneficial. So if you run the same race multiple years in a row, you can begin to strategize about how to handle the hills. Even do simple things like strategize when and where to get water. Because then you could maybe shave off just a couple of seconds if you would do it in the right way. And so you'd run that race faster than you did before. And so there was a lot of thought that went into the planning and running of these actual races so that I could reach my goal and do the best that I could possibly do. But I was thinking about this. What would it be like if I got in line at the start and I knew none of those things? I can't imagine what it would be like if I got, put my 
race bib on with my number and got in line behind a bunch of people not knowing where I was going or how far the race was or if there were any hills or, or even really when the finish line was coming up. Because the reality is if you know none of those things, there is no way that you can run that race to the best of your ability. But here's what I think. I think a lot of people live their life that way. They don't really know where they're going. They just kind of meander through life, at some point knowing the finish line is coming somewhere, but they don't know what it is that they're striving towards. So that's what we're going to be talking about throughout this series called The Finish Line. Because in the second half of the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes and uses this running race language. And he writes to encourage the Philippians, this group of believers in this church in the city of Philippi, to run the race well. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be using, following Paul's language that he uses to talk about what the finish line is. That's what we're going to talk about today, finding the finish line of our faith, as well as figuring out how to get there um, and running the race the best that we possibly can. So I want you to think about something this morning as we get started with this series. At the risk of sounding a little bit morbid, I wonder if you've ever thought about writing your own obituary. It sounds like a, maybe an odd question, but it's actually one that I feel like I have been asked, or uh, it's a task that I have been given a couple of different, on a couple of different occasions. I think I probably did it in a Bible study before. But I, I don't think it's necessarily even just a Christian thing because sometimes it, it can show up things like that or questions like that can be asked of us just in um, like, like personal development seminars and things like that. Like what is it that you want people to say about you when you die? So at the end of your life, when you have reached the finish line of your life, what is it that you want people to say about you? Obviously, with my job, I get the privilege, and I, I do consider it a privilege, of helping families celebrate the lives of loved ones through you know, doing funerals or memorial services. And I'll tell you, like I, it's fascinating to me to hear stories that families tell, to learn the accomplishments of different people. And in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, I often, in meeting with families to uh, prepare services for people, I tell them, like, I, I say, do you have somebody that can speak at this service? Because they don't want to hear from me. What people want to hear from is you and people who know that person really well so that they can hear those stories. And I love to hear those stories. Sometimes I, I hear stories of people, especially the ones who have invested their lives in other people, and I'm just blown away by them. And I think to myself, as in the service sometimes, as I'm hearing these stories, man, like, I, I want to be like that. I want people to be able to share stories like that about me. Or, or people who uh, their faith really shaped their lives and, and was strong. I think to myself, man, like, I wonder if people would be able to say something about something like that about me at the end of my life. So what is it that you want people to say about you? Let's go back to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he wrote the letter to the Philippians. We'll get into uh, the section that we're going to look at here in just a second. Not only did Paul write Philippians, he wrote over half of the New Testament. And so it was 
through Paul's influence, directly sharing the gospel with people, that he impacted the lives of hundreds, maybe even maybe thousands of people just personally through his witness of, of Jesus. Thousands of people maybe that he ministered to, but then thousands upon thousands, ten thousands, hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions of people more through his writings. Now we have no idea of what Paul's obituary actually was. There's no transcript of that. We don't know what people said about Paul after he was gone. We don't know that specifically. But yet what we do know is what Paul wanted people to say. What Paul wanted people to say about him when he reached the finish line of his life was that he knew Christ. And it's that thought that I want to challenge us with today. What would it be like if at the end of our lives, everyone that we knew could say, he or she knew Christ? We're going to talk about that this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there um, to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of a Bible with you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or if you are a Version Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Here is what the Apostle Paul says. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh." If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day in the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach to the resurrection from among the dead. This section really kind of is broken into two halves. It's in the first half that we read, in part, what amounts to be Paul's personal resume. He began by warning the church about who he calls evil doers. These were false teachers who would come into the church and they were going around the region at the time telling people that really in order to be a Christian or to be a Christ follower, you had to be Jewish first. 
And so it was really about doing the right things in the right way at the right time. That's really what allowed you to have a relationship with God. And so as Paul is describing their situation, he's talking about them, and he says they boast in the flesh, boast in the things that they do. Paul says, listen, if anyone has reason to boast, it's me. Just look at my heritage. Look at my upbringing. Look at my resume. He talks about how he was circumcised on the eighth day, uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Like He was doing everything right. His family, as a young boy, made sure that he was doing everything right, doing all the right things in the right way at just the right time. He was blameless. His parents made sure that he had the best Jewish education. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, think about it as a kind of a political party, the way that we think about political parties today, but it was far more religious in nature. And Pharisees were the ones who were really strict about adherence to the Old Testament law. So they followed all the right practices in the right way. Oftentimes it was the Pharisees who decided how to practice the law in the right way. And so Paul says, I did everything right. I was doing everything in the right way, just at the right time, knew the law, lived it out perfectly. And he was even zealous for the faith to the point that his Jewish faith, before he became a follower of Jesus, he persecuted Christians because he saw Christians as a threat to, in his mind, before becoming a follower of Jesus, a threat to the true faith, the true Jewish faith. And so from his perspective, looking at his life, he did everything right. If there was one person who was doing everything in the right way, it was the Apostle Paul. But he says, none of those things got me anywhere because they didn't lead to his ultimate goal, which was to know Christ. And for all of us who are followers of Jesus, I think that should be the goal of our lives. That at the finish line of our faith, people would be able to say about each of us, he or she knew Jesus. That's what Paul was striving after. That was his goal. And we're going to see this over the next couple of weeks, this language that Paul uses. This is what he was striving towards, leaning into. He wanted this more than anything else. He wanted people to see that he knew Jesus. And I do think that this should be our goal. But probably most of us don't think that way, even in relation to our faith. Because likely, I think what most of us think about when it comes to our faith is that at the end of our lives, we'll go to heaven when we die. And so then we ask the question, okay, what do I have to do so that I go to heaven when I die? It's not necessarily a bad question, right? Going to heaven when you die certainly beats the alternative. But yet at the same time, it's funny. You can laugh. It's a hell joke. But if that's the goal, how do I get to heaven when I die? It can lead us down a race that we aren't meant to run on. Because God has something more for us. But we can get stuck thinking, okay, what do I have to do 
in order to get to heaven when I die. And most of the time, even showing up in church, we often use that kind of language, and so that's what we get stuck thinking. What do I have to do in order to go to heaven when I die? And some people think, okay, I have to work my way to get there. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second, why that is impossible. But other people, maybe they come to church for a while, and they recognize the fact that you can't work your way there, that you know, they understand what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. It's by grace, God's free gift given to us by faith. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the way that we're able to go to heaven. It's not by anything that we do. It's a matter of grace that's given to us by faith, or it becomes true in our lives through our faith in Jesus. And so we make the decision to trust Christ as our Savior. Maybe praying a prayer or affirming a belief. And so then it's like, well, if the goal of my life is to get to heaven when I die, as soon as I make that decision to trust Christ as my Savior, then I'm done. And I just sit back and wait. And I do nothing else. And I think it's really easy to get stuck that way with the wrong finish line in mind. And we're going to actually talk about next week why that finish line isn't actually the finish line that God has given to us. And I think as Paul is getting at at it here in this first section of chapter 3, he's telling us that there's more to it than that. That the goal of our faith is not, do I get to heaven when I die? But the goal of our faith is being just like Jesus. Paul said, I want to know Christ. And so if that's the finish line of our life, knowing Jesus at the end of our lives, then the question is, well, what's the process that we go through to get there? Because that is a little bit different of a process than just, how do I get to heaven when I die? Knowing Jesus, it leads me down a different path. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get started headed down that path? And the first thing I would say is this, you cannot trust in yourself. That's what Paul's driving towards in that first section. There are these false teachers coming in saying, hey, you've got to do all the right things in the right way, and that's what really allows you to have a relationship with God. And if you just did the right things in the right way, then you feel really good about yourself. And Paul says, all that stuff, it doesn't get you anywhere. He said, I count all of that stuff that I did that was a part of my resume, Hebrew, the Hebrews, all of that, I consider it a loss because it didn't get me anywhere. Now, I want you to think about this because a lot of times we can get stuck thinking this is true when we have that wrong finish line. How do I get to heaven when I die? But even when we have the right finish line, I think we can get stuck thinking this way, that life is like a big scale. And we think, man, like at the end of my life, if my good can outweigh the bad, so I do more good things than bad things, then God considers that, and that, that's helpful somehow in some way. And so really what it comes down to is that it's about the things that I do. But here's the problem. When we think that way, what people don't understand is that there is this billion-pound weight on the bad side of the scale known as our sin. So it doesn't matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we will never even out the scales. The scale will never tip to the good side. Because our works, the right things that we do, if we do all the right things at all the right time, it gets us nowhere. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And so he says, I consider all of those things loss. So there has to be another way. And that's the reason that Jesus came. 
He came to accomplish for us what we could never do on our own, and it's through his death and resurrection that our sins can be forgiven, and we're able to enter into a relationship with God that changes everything about us and lasts forever. So as we think about running this race, the race of our faith that God has laid out for us, we cannot trust in ourselves. We have to trust in Jesus. And, and as we get into what is really kind of the second half of this, like starting in verse 7, where Paul says, all of that stuff before I consider to be lost, more than that, I consider everything, this is verse 8, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was his goal, was to know Christ. Now when Paul says, I want to know Christ, you've got to understand what he's talking about. I'll give you a couple of things. Knowing Jesus, as Paul is describing here, begins with belief in Jesus. So it's not just knowing about Jesus. It's not just knowing the stories about Jesus. It's not knowing things about Jesus. It's not just knowing that some people believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. It's not just knowing things, but to know is to believe To believe is to trust, and to trust is to rely on. So it's not just knowing things, but when Paul says, I want to know Christ, it starts with belief in Jesus. Not just knowledge with our head, but believing with everything that we have that the only thing that allows us to have a relationship with God that lasts for all eternity is because of the person and work of Jesus and what he accomplished on our behalf. It's being convinced of that with everything that we have, trusting in that and relying on it and not looking for anything else for a solution to the problem that we have. So that's where it starts. If our goal is to know Jesus, it starts with believing in Jesus, and then from there, we also recognize that we are declared righteous because of Jesus. So as Paul continues... He says in verse 9, and be found in him. This is his goal, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So Paul says, I don't want to be found with my own righteousness that comes from the law. In other words, my own righteousness from doing the right things in the right way at the right time, but I want to be found in the righteousness of Jesus. The reason that Paul says that is that he recognizes all of the good things that he did would get him nowhere. In fact, he says that I consider those things that I have done dung or rubbish or garbage. And I'll just be really honest with you, As the Apostle Paul writes that word, it's probably far more explicit than what is written for us in the English. Alex, I will take S words for a thousand. That's probably the closest English equivalent that we have. No one has had the guts to actually put that in print in Scripture yet. But Paul says, all of that stuff, it didn't get me anywhere. It was garbage. Because I want to be found with the righteousness of Jesus. Now, to understand why that's so significant, we have to understand just how lost we are. So I want to go back and let's do some math. All the way back to math class, maybe in high school. I've got a a diagram we're going to put up on the screen for you. And I want us 
to think about this. Putting ourselves on the scale of righteousness. That's what this scale is all about. Now, if you think about it, God is completely holy and perfect. And so if we were to plot God on a scale of righteousness, we would plot God probably all the way up there at positive infinity. Now, because of our sin, we are as far away from God as we can possibly be. So if we put ourselves on that same graph with God at positive infinity, we would have to put ourselves at negative infinity. And I am not a math whiz, but I think if I do a thousand things right and I add that to negative infinity, I'm still at negative infinity. In fact, if I do a million things right and add a million right things to my negative infinity on on this righteousness scale, I'm still at negative infinity. So understand what Paul's saying. I don't want to be found with my own righteousness because I'm still stuck at negative infinity. That doesn't help me. But thankfully, Jesus came to do what we could not do on our own. And the one who has positive infinity on that righteousness scale reached down to us who were lost in our sins, stuck at negative infinity, regardless of what we did. And he rescued us from our sin. And it's his righteousness that positive infinity righteousness that is credited to our account and that's the only thing that allows us to have a relationship with God otherwise we are still stuck at negative infinity without hope but that's why Paul says I don't care about my own righteousness and the things that I do it does nothing I want to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus that comes through faith When we believe in Jesus, when we trust him as our Savior, his righteousness is given to us, and that sets us out on a new course. The course with the finish line to know Jesus. And then from there, as we trust in Jesus and we recognize that we've been declared righteous by Jesus, then that changes everything so that we should desire to pursue Christ's likeness in everything that we have And that's what Paul says as we continue. Verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul's goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, to be conformed in the likeness of his death. And I wish that those were metaphorical things that I can make sound really good, but from Paul's perspective, it wasn't that. Like he wanted to very literally follow Jesus in that way so that he suffered just like Jesus suffered. And ultimately, he even wanted to die like Jesus died because he felt like those things, suffering and death, would bring him into conformity with Jesus. And I don't know about you, as I read those words, man, that's an incredible challenge. Because the reality is for me, I want to trust Jesus. I want to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. I want to experience the resurrection. That's some good stuff, that there's some hope in that. But the suffering and death part, and that doesn't seem a lot like it's a lot of fun. But yet sometimes the suffering that we go through brings us into conformity with Jesus. And if that's the finish line of our life, where we're saying, hey, at the end of my life, I want people to know he knew Jesus. It changes everything about how I live. It changes my perspective on life. It changes how I see the world. 
You know, a lot of times I think we look out at the world around us and we think, man, the world's not so bad. It's got a lot to give. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I think there's a lot that God desires us to enjoy in the world around us. It is a gift to us, but yet at the same time, as Jesus looked at the world around him, what did he see? Brokenness. Not only does it change the way that we see the world, it changes the way that we see people. Oftentimes we get stuck in a pattern of viewing people either as objects in the way, or obstacles in the way, or objects to be used that lead us to the goal that we want. How did Jesus see people? People made in the image of God, and he viewed them with compassion and mercy. Changes how we see ourselves in this whole picture, too. We've talked about this over the last several weeks. We want to put ourselves at the center. When we understand the truth of the gospel is when I could do nothing, Jesus did everything. We recognize it's not about me. And it's about putting Jesus first. And so today, I want you to be thinking about this. What is it that you want people to say about you when you die? Like, What's the end of your life? Because having that right goal, I think the goal, based on what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, our goal should be to know Jesus. That changes everything about how we live. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to do that a little bit more and how to run that race well. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks for your word that you've given to us. Um, God, I, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts, helping us to understand what I believe that our goal should be, which is to know Jesus in everything. And so, Father, I pray that you would challenge us with those words today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.